the very same thing those girls sang. The day when we'll be like him is the day that he appears. But I would like to be a little bit like him now, wouldn't you? We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. But I, I have an honest desire to be more like Jesus. I really do. I love him for loving me. Davy's been good to me. And I appreciate the fact that, that I'm his child. What manner of love the Father bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. That we could be called. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, uh, welcome, welcome to Esther Baptist Church. Our visitors, thank you for coming to see us. All of you that are here, I hope that you will get something from the, just from the atmosphere of the church, from the people of the church that they will make you feel welcome and that you'll want to come back and see us Amen. again. Okay, that's as friendly as I get. The rest of it's preaching. <laughs> In the book of Matthew chapter 18, read a couple of verses here. Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse 19. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Now the old Bible teachers that I had when I was coming up they taught me that that was the smallest form of a local church. Just two or three of us to get together. But actually the context of this thing is on discipline, church discipline. And it said back there, uh, where is it, uh, verse 15, if your brother offends you, or you offend your brother, y'all need to get together and get that straightened out. Yeah. But then he said, if you can't get it straightened out by talking to your brother, he said, take two or three with you and go back to him, still can't get it straightened out. Then he said, tell it to the church. And here's where, where two or three of you, the church, will agree on one thing. Amen. Then that's the way God will see it. I want to preach this morning, and it's going to, it's going to take more than one sermon. It's going to take more than two sermons. It's going to take more than three sermons. It's going to take more than four sermons. How do you know that, preacher? I've already got four prepared, and uh, uh, I'm about halfway through. What I want to preach about is, is the church and our covenant together as a church. Uh, Albert Garner was a, a very capable missionary Baptist preacher of another day, a defender of the faith of another time, and I owe a lot to him of being taught me about the covenant that's there on the wall. Uh, there was a time, and I've saw them, the old pastors, whenever they 
would bring a new member into the church. Before they would baptize them, they would read them that covenant on the wall. And they'd make them promise to abide by that covenant. That's gone. Nobody does that anymore. Amen. But at least we ought to be familiar with why they would do that, right? As a local church, we are covenanted together as one body in Christ. And so uh, I'll just read the, the first paragraph, then I'll pray. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on our profession of faith in Him, having been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into a covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Man, that's a mouthful. Amen. Do do you realize what I just read to you? That's the promise that we make to each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the privilege to pray. Lord, it is true that we fail in our Christian life, but God, it's not because I don't want to live for you. I pray, our Father, that with my mind I serve the law of sin, or of God, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. God, I pray you'd give me victory over that. I pray, our Father, that that I could be more like Jesus today. Use this preaching this morning, this instruction today, to help somebody along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I, I trace them back maybe the 16th or 17th century that the churches began to put covenants on their wall, put covenants that they would uh, uh, cause their people to subscribe to and write, and they established the constitutions, rules of order of how the church would conduct its business and their understanding of what a church was. You know, most people don't even know what a church is today. Have no idea. We've got the, the universal church idea where that, uh, that uh, it's a, a spiritual thing, one, one body with Jesus as the head. But the problem with that, children, is it can't do nothing. In order for God to do something, He has chosen to use people, not spirits. If he was going to do it in a spiritual manner, he could use angels. But God needs bodies. Am I right? I mean, what if I just said, well, I'm going home and we'll let the Spirit finish preaching this message. Do you, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. God, God needs bodies. God needs physical beings to make up a church. Now, the church covenants that they write and, and that the people pledge to, by God's grace, to live out the Christian life and faith together. Uh, by God's grace, I'm not able to do it any other way. 
But as that covenant, it hangs on our wall. It was here when I came uh, 45 years ago. And uh, it's, a, it's an agreement, and I'm going to go probably this morning uh, with the first paragraph, if I, can, if I can get it. But one thing that we agree on is how you get saved. Amen. The way of salvation. The very first thing says, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of Christ to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Right. How do you get saved, preacher? You get saved by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Yeah. As many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. Amen. Have you ever received Jesus Christ in your life? I'm talking, uh, you may be a church member, you may be a Sunday school teacher, you even may be a preacher, but have you ever received Jesus Christ, God's Son, who left heaven's glory and came to this sin-cursed world and took your sins and my sins in His body on the tree, and I received that, and that's how I'm saved today. The way of salvation says that uh, we have been uh, believed by the Spirit of God to receive Jesus as Savior, indicating that, that God makes the first move. Now, I'm not a hyper-Calvinist, and you know I'm not, but John 6, says, No man can come to the Father, or the, me except the Father draw him. It pleased God. It pleased God uh, through the preaching of the Word, in cooperation with the drawing power of the Holy Ghost, uh, that men could experience conviction, and when they experience conviction, uh, amen, they're on the verge of being saved. Has God ever convicted your heart? I remember it well. Show of hands, please. Do you remember? Whenever the Lord convicted you of the fact that you were a sinner, Unless something happened, something went uh, uh, different from what you was doing, you was going to go to hell. I remember that. Amen. I wasn't, in those days, I wasn't afraid of hell as I should have been. But when I come to the realization that I was going, it wasn't that guy down the road that I'd been telling to go. Amen. But it was me that I was going, and I saw the only hope that I had, the only lifeboat that I had, the only life preserver that I had was that one that Jesus threw to me whenever I received him as my Savior. Amen. Now, God doesn't always stay with that conviction. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 says, My spirit shall not... Always strive with man. He will give up on you. Isn't that scary? He will give up on you. I'm thinking that this salvation deal is not a tomorrow thing. This salvation deal is a now thing. You might not be here tomorrow. Okay, let me back off a little bit. I'm scaring you, I understand. An invitation of the Holy Spirit... Man comes to the Lord and God grants him repentance and he receives Jesus as his Savior. The goodness of God leads him to repentance that God's allowed me to live this long. 
Amen. God allowed me to walk around on his footstool and do all the things that I did and hasn't already put me in hell. Amen. Goodness of God led me to repent of my sins. Now as I say that, salvation is an individual matter. I had a good family. I had a good godly mother that prayed for me. But my mother could not get saved for me. It's an individual thing. Having good godly parents is a plus. Amen. It is good that somebody would raise you for the Lord. But it's not a good enough plus to save your soul. You have got to come yourself, amen, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to make a personal acceptance of Him. If you are saved, salvation comes by the act of receiving the finished work of the Lord Jesus. John 1, 12, As many as received Him to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. 1 John chapter 5, 11 and 12, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So the first thing we look at on that uh, covenant on the wall is we have to agree on the way of salvation. You see, there are people that disagree with us. There are people that say, well, Jesus will save you, and then you've got to work from then on to stay saved. Or Jesus will save you if you've been baptized in water. Or Jesus will save you if you have some kind of an emotional experience where you roll in the floor and speak in tongues. But we as Baptist people teach that Jesus will save you if you believe the gospel. Amen. Right then, that's all. By grace through faith. Amen. The way of salvation. Then I want you to notice that number two in the first paragraph, the covenant requires us to confess that. The Bible said upon the profession of our faith, upon we, we were willing, Romans 10 and 9, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. When men truly believe the gospel, they should tell somebody about it. Yeah. Amen. I couldn't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I remember... I remember the, the very next morning I was set out to tell somebody about it. When I got right with God after I had been uh, backslidden for years, the next morning I had a Volkswagen, believe it or not. Who in the world would own a Volkswagen back in those days? But I had one, and I took it to Rollison Motors. You know where Rollison Motors is? I've got one guy here remembers it. It was up there on Broad Street, a Volkswagen uh, place, and I took it down there to get it serviced. Sat down in the chair and the Holy Spirit me said, witness to these people. I said, what? He said, I want you to say something about being saved. So I know I scared them to death. I hopped up out of that chair and I said, hey, I'm saved, thank God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> this poor lady, she scooted over a couple of more chairs, you know. She, she just wanted to get away from me. And she looked at this guy and said, uh, well, at least he ain't ashamed of it. <laughs> Amen. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Uh, uh, there is another way 
that we can testify that we are saved. And that is submission to water baptism. The way of water baptism. I think in that baptism is actually noted as the third in our first paragraph of studies and duties. No man should be baptized that isn't already saved. Amen. You've got to get saved first. But then whenever you get saved, then you ought to submit as a testimony to the world that I have died to sin and I have arisen to walk in the newness of life. From now on, I'm a different person. I'm not the same one that I used to be. Now, Philip, whenever he came across the Ethiopian eunuch, he required him to testify before he would baptize him. You remember that? Amen. New Bibles have removed that verse, downgraded the profession But the true word of God, and when I say that, I'm talking about an A.V. 1611. It says, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Peter required uh, the house of Cornelius uh, that they profess. Uh, Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer the same that required it. Uh, It is a doctrine of the New Testament that people confess the Lord Jesus as their Savior before they are candidates for baptism. Now, in our list, the way of water baptism, scripturally correct way of baptism is complete burial in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Complete burial. You know... How many of you have been around and seen that I didn't get them all the way under? (laughs) Amen. And you know, if if that comes to my attention, you know what I will do? I'll do it again. I mean, if I went down here to Fiddler and Frame or there to to Stevens and Grass and I'd tell them, hey, uh, so-and-so's dead and I want to bury him, and they'd say, well, we'll bury him, but we'll probably leave their nose sticking out. That's not the way you do it. If you're going to bury them in water, you don't take water and sprinkle it on their head. If you're going to bury them, you don't take a pitcher of water and pour it on their head like you're you're, uh, watering flowers. But what you do, you get a hold of that guy, get a hold as you can, and believe me, some of them are rough. But you get, back when we used to baptize in the creek, there was a fellow that came for baptism, weighed about 300 pounds. I remember this this day. I'm not going to call his name, but people would know him. But I lost him. <laughs> get, get him, man. I mean, you know, I put him down there. That wasn't no problem. But when I tried to raise him back up, son, he didn't weigh 300 pounds. He weighed about 600 pounds, and I, he just slipped out of my hands and floated on down the creek. I brought him back. I said, here, we're going to try it again. And amen. I think of Kenny. I believe I got Kenny Hoyce. Come out here and help me this time. <laughs> I'm not doing that well. And I think from that day to this, I've always had somebody to help me. But what you do in water baptism, the way of water baptism is that you bury them all the way under the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then you lift them back up the way of baptism. <laughs> Amen. Now, uh, that, that was given to the church. 
That wasn't given to the preacher. That's why I have to bring somebody before the church and ask the church what to do. Now, the church authorizes me to do that. You see what I'm talking about? That's what ordination is. Whenever the church authorizes you, amen, I'm an authorized agent of Esther Baptist Church to baptize people in water. It's kind of like being a representative of a company. You can go over to the parts store or wherever. Say, go down here to Walker Machinery and say, I want to buy one of them our million-dollar bulldozers. Amen. They want to know whose name you're going to buy that bulldozer in. And I say, what's mine? I say, I'm the financing. Get out of my store. Amen. But if you go down there and say, I'm operating under... Blackhawk Coal Company or Blue Creek Coal Company and say they've authorized me. I've got the papers here that they authorized me. They'll say, yeah, load her up. You see, now that, that's what I'm talking about. The preacher is authorized by the church because the church is the one that God, that commission back in Matthew chapter 28. Amen. Let me show you the uh, John chapter uh, uh, 4. Can you go there with me for just a minute? Let me show you something. It'll make this probably more clear. John chapter 4. Am I boring you? Will you smile every, one, every once in a while? Will you, will you give me some help? I mean, you know, you can say, Hey, man, preacher, and, and that would help me. Just give me some help. John chapter 4. Uh, look how... Uh, uh, Verse 1, let me read this to you. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Did Jesus baptize anybody? Keep reading. Though Jesus himself baptized not. Comma. See the comma? But his disciples. His disciples that baptized in his name were credited with Jesus baptizing you. Does that make sense to you? I mean, whenever I baptize you, it is the same in heaven as if Jesus himself came down here and baptized you because he authorized me to do that through the church that he authorized. Amen, preacher. Well, I got a lot of preaching to do, long ways to go. I hope you're roasted and burning. But I'm authorized to baptize And uh, uh, the reason for ordaining preachers is to confer on them that authorization. Since the ordinances were given to that apostolic band of disciples and not to every believer, we must make a distinction. Not every believer consists or makes up a church. A church is a body of baptized believers who assemble together for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission as was delivered to them on a mountain in Galilee. How big is a church where two or three are gathered together? Or in Acts chapter 4, they had thousands. So I don't know how big a church is. I just know if they need to be gathered in Jesus' name. Just as it's necessary for two or more baptized believers in Christ to enter into a covenant with one another to constitute a body of a congregation in Christ, even so it's needful for every member that is added later uh, to consider themselves to be doing the same thing that God authorized the disciples to do. 
The only legitimate reason for joining the church is to carry out the Great Commission and have a home base to do I think what I'm trying to say is don't join a church to sell cars. How many of you know that people will want to join? They generally don't want to join little churches. They want to join big churches where people have got big money and they can sell their cars. How many of you knows that that ain't, that ain't why you join a church? <laughs> Amen. Business contacts. When Baptists speak of one body, they're saying that there is one body that constitutes a church. And that is a body of believers that have been baptized. Uh, in water on the profession of their faith uh, and, and not the generic term of a universal church. First paragraph of our co- covenant says one way of salvation. Two, it says one profession of salvation. Three, it says one way of baptism. And then four, one way of church organization. As an organized church, we have a, according to the second paragraph, well, I better not go there. Well, I got 10 minutes. According to the second paragraph of our covenant, an obligation to love each other. (laughs) You mean it's a requirement that I love these people? I don't even like them. How in the world am I going to love them? That's the requirement. (laughs) Amen. To love the other members, to strive for the advancement of the church in knowledge and holiness and comfort, to promote its prosperity, spirituality, to sustain its worship ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. Well, what a mouthful. Uh, On the doctrines, let me camp there for a little bit. There is a doctrine that Baptists hold called soul liberty. Uh, A soul liberty, the definition is, you can believe whatever God shows you. Amen? Now, that, that's dangerous, isn't it? Or is it? If we can have the freedom to believe what God shows every individual, whether a believer or an unbeliever has the freedom to choose whatever their conscience tells them to do. Frank, can I use you as an example? All right, Frank stands up and he says, I can't help it. The Bible says he can help it. The Bible said every one of us is responsible for what we do. Frank stands up and says, I can't help it. i got to testify. Uh, well, now Frank believes that. All right, just go ahead and keep believing it, Frank, because that's your liberty. You see what I'm talking about? But I've got a right to believe what the book says, and the book says the pro- spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Well, Amen. nobody throw the rock. Let me keep going. The priesthood of every believer. You don't have to go to a priest. You are a priest because you've got that soul leader. Uh, uh, Leaders often give no room for personal convictions. Baptists are bad about that. It's my way or the highway. But for 45 years, I've tried to allow you folks to have a personal freedom to believe what God shows you. Is that right, Dave? I mean, Dave was here years ago, and he was very sharp in the Bible. I had to watch how I preached because 
he'd call my hand. Not that day, this day. <laughs> I got more days. I ain't used to having more days in the church. But believers are quick to judge one another, to criticize one another, give an opinion where no opinion is asked for, issues that should be minor or made major because they do not love one another. It's the church's responsibility, and it's my responsibility as a pastor to keep it a Baptist church. Okay, now I'm not one of those guys, I'm not ecumenical at all. Amen, I have no, no desire to fellowship with false churches. I've got here, it says, read the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. Read it? Wow. Let me just read a, a few verses of it. Okay? Romans chapter 14. I believe I can get enough of it going there that you can finish it when you get home. Romans chapter 14. Verse 1, Him that's weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. One believes that he may eat all things. Another who is weak is a vegetarian. All he eats is herbs. Amen. So that verse right there tells me if I want bacon and eggs for breakfast, I can have bacon and eggs for breakfast. Is that what that tells me? It also tells me if you don't like that, you better not eat it. Because that will wound your conscience because you don't want to eat pork. Now, I've saw people fight over a ham sandwich. Amen. And these, these lawyers that indict Trump, they would indict a ham sandwich. They, they, they would have, a, have a, a reason to put it out of existence because Jews are not allowed to have a ham sandwich. Let me go on a little bit. In verse 4, uh, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? His own master he standeth or falleth, yet he shall uh, uh, be holding up, for God's able to make him uh, stand. And here, now, look at this next one, verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. How many of you believe that Sunday is the Sabbath day? Oh, well, y'all must be Baptists. What is the Sabbath day? The last day of the week. The seventh day. Why do we not worship on the seventh day? Well, we should. In fact, we should worship on the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, the seventh day. Watch out, the eighth day, the ninth day. We should worship, but, but this one guy, he thinks that this one day is special. Well, if you want to think that, help yourself. I know national preachers, one I'm thinking about is dead now, but he wouldn't buy gasoline on Sunday because he said if he didn't buy gasoline, the guy at the, at the uh, filling station wouldn't have to work. Amen. I don't know what he would do with Shoney's, do you? What, I, what I'm into here is soul liberty. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to back off of that, but you go ahead and when you get home and read that entire 
chapter of uh, uh, Romans, chapter 14. Uh, but here's the difficulty for a pastor. We're talking about church covenant. How can I let every one of you have your opinion? And it still be a Baptist church. The only thing I can do is tell you that whenever you come to me and you want to change something, you come with your Bible in your hand. And you say, preacher, looky here. Amen. If we, if, if what... And if you think, well, the Bible doesn't say it, but I believe it, or the Bible says it, but I don't believe it, then don't bother. I'm not going to change. Amen. Amen. The only thing I can stand on, I'm getting scared. The only thing I can stand on is what this book says. Amen. Amen. The first sentence of the paragraph 2 informs us that we're to walk by the aid of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will never Go against what's written in this book. He's pictured in the scripture as a dove a lot of times. Dove is a harmless uh, a bird. Jesus' teaching was that we're supposed to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. The Levitical offering, I don't believe there ever was an eagle in the bunch. I believe that with the pigeons and doves. If we cannot encourage our brethren, then we need to seek diligently the aid of the Holy Spirit. We need to say, Lord, God, help me. Help me to be what I ought to be to my brother. Our work, our deeds should be under the direction of the Holy Spirit. If he leads us, I know that what we'll do is magnify the Lord Jesus. Amen. If it doesn't magnify Jesus. I remember a, a church split. and Oh, yeah, I've been through them. I remember one one time where the church was having a good, good spiritual service. People's testifying, they're singing, they're crying. You know how they don't do around here anymore, but they used to. Yeah. They, were, they were singing, they were crying, and, and uh, this deacon, bless his heart, he's done gone to glory now. This deacon stood up and said, Spirit or no spirit, I got to say what I got to say. I thought, oh, Lord, what do you mean? Spirit or no spirit. How dare you? I won't say blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Man, wasn't that close? Wasn't that close? Okay. Now, the advancement of the church should always be the goal that we take. The first law of the church is the law of love. God is, uh, uh, John 13, 4, uh, new commandment I give you that you love one another. And, and what we do, the 16, 11 says charity as the number one way of uh, demonstrating Christianity to the world. Charity has retained some of the di distinction that the 16, 11 had in the intent that it uh, uh, has given. But charity is not necessarily given. It's given how God would give. How would God give? How would God love? Well, a Sunday school kid could answer that. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Given the way God gives. Charity is trying to give, seeking to get nothing out of it. Boy, that just shot Mike Murdoch and 
all of the prosperity preachers that yeah. just, are y'all tired? <laughs> hey, I'm 78 years old. Yes, I'm tired. But I got just a little bit more and, and I'll let you go. You cannot love righteousness and not hate sin. The modern concept then is said acceptance of everybody just any way they are. No. No, you cannot accept them any way they are. If you say to everybody, you come in here just like you are, no reason to change, you'd have a drunk sitting over there. Amen. I love my bottle, preacher. Thank you for allowing me. To no, no, you're not going to bring that in this church or any other sin that's going on in this world today. Uh, John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Did you know that that unsaved uh, friend of yours, the wrath of God is on him? And we're raising up a country that don't even know which bathroom to go to. We're raising up a country of people that are, uh, I, I think that the folks who train me, and you see, I'm a dying breed. When I'm gone, I don't know who's going to replace me. The folks who trained me believe that the church ought to be right. The church ought to be right with God. The church ought to be pure. And I'm not saying they should be sinless, but they should strive to be like Jesus. More like Jesus would I be. More of His Holy Spirit in me. More about Jesus would I learn. More of His Holy Will discern. Well, that there's paragraph one and part of paragraph two. Uh, come back tonight and we'll maybe finish paragraph two, but I've got one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> All right. I'm going to quit. I'm not finished, but I'm going to quit. Thank you for coming. Would you bow your heads, please?